My mother told me that there weren't monsters under my bed or hidden inside my closet. But she never warned me that sometimes monsters come dressed not as my enemies, but as those closest to me. I just want to say thank you for betraying me. Welcome. Great to guys. Great to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us. Wow, you guys are fired up. I love it. Hey, can we just give it up for all these great people that just got baptized? How cool is that? Love it. Amazing. So thankful there were baptisms happening all across South Texas, all at the same time at all of our campuses. Love that. And so I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being part of our services today. We love you guys. We're grateful for you. And uh, thanks for joining us. Pull out your notes if you would. We're, again, glad you guys are here. And for those of you who are just moved by the baptisms and thought, oh, I wish I would have been ready for that. I would have loved to have gotten baptized. It's not too late. You can still get baptized. At the end of our service, at all of our campuses, we're going to give you an opportunity to get baptized. If you missed it, you feel like you missed it, you didn't. We're still going to give you an opportunity to do that as well. So but pull out your notes if you would. Again, we're glad you guys are here. Thanks for joining us today. Today's title is kind of hard to even say because we feel guilty even saying it, especially if you grew up in a religious home of any, uh, of any sort, you're going to feel like it's got to be wrong. This title can't, can't even be right because it just seems so controversial, but I think all of us have felt this way at some time in our life. So today's message is called, What to Do When You Feel Like Jesus Betrayed You. Again, it just doesn't even sound right. You're like, oh, wow, no, that's just wrong, right? But the key word was feel like. I don't believe Jesus does betray us, but I believe we certainly can feel like it. We've all had things we've asked for that didn't come through, prayers that didn't get answered, miracles that didn't happen. And so we've all prayed for someone, Lord, please, please don't let them die. Please save them. And then, they, and then they died, you know, right? We all know the stories of someone who was healed from cancer, but we also know the story of someone who died from cancer that we also prayed just as hard for. You know, we all know the story about when you're praying for someone to stay with you, God, please turn their heart, and they still leave. And so what do you do when you feel like, Lord, I just asked for one thing, just one thing, God, and it didn't happen. So we're going to talk very real and raw about that today because I think this affects every one of us. And so pull out your notes if you would as we, as we get started in this. Thanks for joining us. And we got people still coming in uh, at all of our, our campuses right now from getting baptized. So glad you guys are here. Come on in wet. We're glad. We're just glad you're here. And so it's great to see all these great people. Very exciting. I heard about a kid that uh, he went to the preacher because he wanted to get baptized and said, when can I get advertised? And uh, that's really what it is, you know, in case you want to know what baptism is. Baptism is basically we take someone, we immerse them underwater because the word baptize means, in the original Greek, baptizo. That's what it means. Say baptizo. That's right. I, you got your Greek lesson for the day. That means baptize, but the word actually means to immerse underwater. That's why we put someone completely underwater because we just want to follow what the Bible says. And so, and for some of you today, you, you're probably thinking, well, I was invited to come see my cousin or my friend or my sister, my mom, my dad, my, my, my daughter or whoever get baptized. But some of you are thinking, scratching your head going, but I was at their baptism when they got baptized as a baby, right? And so we totally get that. And so I just want to tell you right now that, that, you know, the Bible talks about getting baptized after you've personally received Christ. And so even if you did get baptized as an infant. We want to follow what the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with that church tradition. We're not here to knock it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you were raised in a church tradition where you were baptized as an infant, that's great. But the Bible talks about getting, getting uh, to a personal relationship with Jesus when you personally ask Christ in your life. Then after that, getting baptized. And the guy who taught that, by the way, was John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about him today a little bit. But that's why we do it that way. So I just want to say to those of you who feel like 
you may feel corrected by this. We're not trying to correct you at all. We want to say to you, all the friends and family who came to support your friends and family that got baptized, thank you for the faith heritage you raised your kids in, and we're now embracing it personally. And so we are grateful for you. So we're just so thankful that you're here today. Thanks for being a part of our services today. We're grateful for you to be here. So we're talking about John the Baptist a little bit today. And John the Baptist is this rough guy who happened to be Jesus' cousin. And uh, he grew up with a very clear plan that God had given him to be sort of what we call the forerunner of Jesus. His job was to say, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, and walk off the stage. And so that's what he did in his life. He basically was the forerunner to him. He kind of introduced Jesus to the world. And then the Bible even says that he actually said this. He said, I must decrease while he increases. And so John knew his role was to introduce Christ and then to get out of the way and let Christ take over, which is remarkable that he was willing to do that. But the thing John probably did not know was how that would look at the end of his life. And that's the thing that's a little shocking about John's story. I could talk about his baptism today. In fact, John actually even baptized Jesus, which is really cool because, you know, you're supposed to repent of your sins and get baptized, but Jesus had no sins to repent of. But he still got baptized to honor the Heavenly Father. And so even Jesus got baptized. If it's good enough for him, I think it's good enough for you and me. And so, but he did that too. And when he did, John was baptizing people, telling them, repent of your sins and I'll baptize you. And then when they were coming out in the water, Jesus shows up to come out in the water and John stops and says, whoa, whoa, I can't baptize you. You're my Lord. And Jesus says, no, John, I want you to baptize me because I'm honoring my heavenly father. And so he does, and God does this really cool miracle right there. And I don't have time to go into all that, but it's really cool. But that's the story of John the Baptist. Well, shortly after that, John gets, finds himself in trouble with the king because John was a truth teller. He was a prophet. He spoke the truth of God's word, even when, if it was unpopular. And the king, and kings are known for this, kings are kind of like celebrities to where they're not used to being corrected. And so the king gets corrected. This is why oftentimes people that are very famous are the most against preachers and against the word of God, because everyone around them just says, whatever you want. Yes, you're right. Oh, of course, whatever your opinion is, that's right. And all of a sudden, you know, they come up against a preacher or two who's like, no, the Bible says this, and we don't change, and they get bothered by that. Like, what? what? Everyone tells them right, and you tell me the word says that. And so people aren't used to people speaking truth to power. But that's what John did. John basically told uh, King Herod, hey, bro, this is wrong what you're doing. And it called him out, and kings aren't used to being called out. And it offended him, but more importantly, it offended his wife. And his wife flips out, says, throw him in jail. Because here's the thing, Herod married a girl, but it wasn't any girl, it was his brother's wife. And so talk about having no boundaries. This guy was literally sleeping with his brother's wife, married her, and so, I mean, this went Jerry Springer really fast, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, well, John the Baptist, unlike most people in the society where there's a king in charge, says, I don't care who you are, that's wrong. And so and it really bothered the king, and it really offended the king's wife, Herodias. And so let's pick up in the scripture. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 17, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his, brother's, uh, his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. Even so, uh, he liked to listen to him. So the thing is, is clearly you can see that Herod was under the conviction of God. And you really have two options when you're under the conviction of God. When you know God is telling you something and you know what you're doing is wrong, you can either repent and turn to the Lord or you can rebel. And so Herod was in, a, in the middle of that conviction. He has not made a decision yet. But his wife clearly had made a decision, John's wrong, he's a loser, let's get rid of him, let's just shut him up. I don't know why people don't understand that if you shut up truth, it doesn't change truth. 
Does that make sense? Like, you can kill the person who's saying it, but it doesn't change the fact that you still married your brother's wife. <laughs> like, that doesn't change that. And so they were offended by it. And so what happens, they throw John the Baptist in jail. Well, right about the same time, historically, if you were to put this on a timeline, okay, you would see that right at the same time John goes to jail, Jesus is really kind of coming up to, in the stage like, of his ministry, like he's becoming well-known at the same time. So I'm sure John, in his mind, was like, man, it's me and you, Jesus. Like, we're going to do this. I'm going to introduce you. Then you're going to be like the main thing. And you get out there and you heal people and tell them about salvation. It's going to be great. You know? So John's like, I'm sure he had this picture in his mind of what this is going to look like, but I don't think it included him going to jail. So now he finds himself in jail. Look at the scripture. It says in Luke chapter 7, it says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples. He's in jail, and he's hearing about the miracles Jesus is doing. So he called two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? What? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're John the Baptist, and you're questioning whether Jesus is Jesus. Like, that's a pretty big thing. But I just want to point this out. Jesus, right after this, by the way, says in Scripture that he thinks John the Baptist is the most righteous man he knows. Jesus said that. So John the Baptist must have been seriously righteous, right? I mean, if Jesus said it. And so can we, think, can we just admit it's safe to say that if, if the most righteous man Jesus knew on this earth can doubt Jesus that maybe you and I do too sometimes? Does that make sense? Like if he had this doubt, maybe we can admit that we have doubts as well sometimes. The first thing I want you to know is this. Number one, go to Jesus about your doubt. Go to Jesus about your doubt. If you're going to have a bout with doubt, turn to the Lord with it. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm frustrated because I thought you're in control and now I'm in jail. Like I thought you told me to speak truth. I spoke truth and now I don't have freedom. And, and the guy I'm supposed to be, you know, like introducing to the world, Jesus is out there killing it and I'm stuck in prison and came and watch it. I mean, it just seems very unfair, Lord. I'm sure this is what he's thinking, right? Would, wouldn't you not be thinking that too? Like, I've dedicated my life to you. I'm devoted to you. I preach you, and I came to see you. And then the one thing I need from you, Jesus, is to help hook a brother up. I need you to get me out of jail. Can, could you help me out? Could you give me that get out of jail free card, please? And yet Jesus doesn't seem to be responding the way John wants him to. You ever been there? You're like, oh, Lord, I know you're a miracle worker. I just need one. Can you just hook me up with one quick miracle and then you get back to all the other stuff you're doing? And so we had a very specific request. Now look at the scripture, Luke chapter 7, verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told the disciple, John's disciples, so then while he's healing people, John's disciples show up and say, hey, can we ask you a question, Jesus, real quick? I'm like, sure, what's up? Well, you know, we, we work for John. They're like, he, you know, Jesus is like, oh yeah, how is John? knowing full well how he was doing, because Jesus knows everything, so he knows. Oh, yeah, tell John hello for me. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, Jesus, he had one question. What's his question? Well, can you come over here? I'm sure they want to pull him aside, like, we don't want to say it in front of everybody, because we don't want to act like we're questioning you, but are you really the Messiah? John's asking, not us. We think we're cool with you, but, you know, he's asking, right? Can't you imagine how they're dodging this one? And Jesus says, oh, that's a great question. And then look how he answers this question. Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. That sounds great to you and me because we didn't grow up Jewish. But if you grew up in a strict Jewish home in Israel, and you cannot get more Jewish than living in Israel, okay? 
And so if you grew up in a strict Jewish home, then you know what he's quoting. That's not just a little thing he's saying. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 60. So as he's quoting Isaiah, excuse me, 61, as he's quoting that, I'm sure John's disciples, also grew up Jewish, are quoting along with him, yep, you're healing the blind, the, the, the lame can walk, the blind can see. They're quoting along with him, knowing, oh, you're quoting Isaiah. Because I'm sure when Jesus and John, who were cousins, were in church together, right, in the temple, and, and, and the minister got up and began to preach Isaiah 61, he said, there's going to be a Messiah coming, and he will heal the blind, and the sick will be healed. And, you know, and as they're doing that, John's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is going, yeah, he's coming. Winking at John, going, we know who that is. And John's like, yeah, you know, he's like, this is going to be awesome, right? And so I'm sure they had some conversations about what was coming. I'm sure they knew that. And so John has this in his mind like, yeah, he's the man. I know he is. He, he's God's son. And Jesus quotes the scripture incomplete. Now, I didn't say wrong. Jesus never quotes it wrong. I mean, he doesn't quote it wrong because he's also God, so he also wrote it. He knows it well. But he doesn't say the one line that John's looking for. And so let me read the original Isaiah scripture to you real quick that he was quoting. This is the original. It says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released, and the prisoners will be freed. Yeah, that's the part we don't hear. Right? Jesus quoting all the other part, he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of the God's anger against their enemies. So he, he's quoting all this, this Isaiah stuff, and so Jesus says, hey, you go back and you tell John that I said that the lame will walk, the blind will be healed, and he's going through the whole thing, and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and the prisoners will be, huh? and he's like, yeah, just tell them that. And they're like, well, you didn't say the last part. Can you, can you finish that? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm sorry, Jesus, <laughs> just, just one part. We just need you, and he goes, and Jesus is like, I know what you're looking for. I'm good. But Jesus, you're doing all these miracles for everyone all around us. I just need one very specific miracle. And some of you understand what I'm talking about. Jesus, I'm single. All my friends are getting engaged. Could you just hook up one more person? <laughs> right? Jesus, I'm reading books after books about people being healed by cancer, and I get cancer, and could I be one of them too? Jesus, look, I know there's a lot of requests you're answering all over the world right now, but, but, you know, could you just turn the heart of my child back to you? Could you just get my spouse to not leave? Could you just maybe cause my boss to not let me go? Could you just maybe turn the heart of someone that's against me for me? I just, I just need one request out of all the list of the things you're doing. Could you just do one thing for me? Sorry, John. Not going to happen. So I dedicate my life to you. I do everything I can for you. I teach people about you to repent, to be baptized, to give their life to you, and I need one thing. Really? Maybe some of you can relate to this. I just got one request. I don't feel like I'm asking too much. But this is what you got to know. Number two, Jesus does miracles, just not always your way. You see, when it comes to Jesus in the church, he's not Burger King. He can't have it your way. You got to have it his way. And sometimes his way, as hard as it for us to understand, 
doesn't, excuse me, doesn't include the one request we want. And it's hard for us to, to fathom that because we think what I'm asking for is not bad, God. I mean, of all the kids you heal, could you just heal mine? Out of all the people who, who their marriage has turned around, could you just turn mine around? Out of all the things that, that happened in this world, the accidents that happened, did it have to happen to someone I love? Couldn't you just bring healing in this one instance, God? Is it too much to ask? And Jesus says something that is shocking that you don't hear preachers talking about. Because I can be honest with you, this is not easy to preach. But I want to tell you on the front end before I go here, God did not call me to be a part of his marketing department. I am not going to try to defend what God did. I'm just telling you what he did. Because I don't need to defend the Lord. He needs no defense. He's the Lord. And what he chooses to do, even if it doesn't make sense to us, is still his choosing. And so look what he says next. He says, oh, and by the way, because he's going through the whole list, the lame will walk, the blind will see, and you say, all that's happening. And they're like, uh-huh. And then the captives are set, what, Jesus? And then the prisoners set, what? And he goes, oh, yeah, and tell John. And they're like, well, well, can you finish it? And he's like, no, I'm not going to finish it, but tell John this. And then look what he says next. It's just shocking. He says, oh, and he added, God blesses those who don't turn away because of me. You're saying that your actions, Jesus, could possibly turn people away from God? And he says, yeah. Why, why is that? How could Jesus' actions turn away? It's real simple. Because you did miracles for everyone but me. You answered everyone's request but the one I've got. Thought you were a God of love. Thought you were a miracle God. And he is. But sometimes the miracles he does turn out different. When You, 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 you have a, a, an aunt that you prayed for healing for her cancer for years, and God does heal her. He just heals her on the other side of eternity. He did heal her. It's just not the way we wanted it to go down. And so John's saying, please set me free from prison. And Jesus is in his mind thinking, oh, you're going to be set free. You're going to be free indeed. It's just not going to be the kind of freedom you're thinking you're getting. It's going to look different. It's going to come out different than you're thinking, John. You see, it says in Mark chapter 6, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but the king gets tricked into killing John the Baptist for his daughter. Herodias has a daughter, and and uh, they have a big birthday party for the king. And, you know, kings are known for throwing some serious house parties. And so this is like a crazy, the bass is going boom, boom. And they're like, yeah, champagne's flow. And it looks like a rapper video, you know, crazy, you know. And so, you know, they're having a good time. The king's, you know, having this crazy wild party. It's, you know, just kind of just imagine what Hollywood must be like when it's crazy and it's nuts and all these things are happening. And the king's in the middle of all this, you know. And the king's daughter comes out. She's like, I got to dance for you. King's like, all right, sits down. So she does her dance. It says it, 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 he was very pleased with it. Now keep in mind, if a guy will sleep with his brother's wife, there's no telling all the other boundaries that aren't there either. And so this, this daughter's dance pleased him so much, and I don't even want to know what that must have looked like, but it pleased him so much, he said, you can have whatever you want up to half my kingdom. Who would give that kind of reward? Like, are you nuts? I'm sure the people in the court were like, well, what did he just say? Up to half the kingdom? Like, what kind of dance was that? You know what I mean? Like, that's like, what in the world are you thinking, right? See, the king was actually not an immoral man. He was a weak man. And see, when you're weak, you end up paying prices you don't realize you're going to pay. And so he, he let himself go down these roads 
that were clearly wrong. And, and that's why you end up giving the price tag to someone else to fulfill for you. You say, whatever you want, I'll do it. Not knowing that the daughter would go talk to his wife and she would say, go ask him for the head of John the Baptist. She comes back, she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. He's like, oh. That's the thing about sin is that there's always a price tag and it's bigger than you think. It's out of his control at this point. So look what happens next. It says, then the king deeply regretted what he'd said, but because of the vows he'd made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the, to the girl who took it to her mother. I mean, this is just sick. When John, John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Number three is a little shocking, but it's true. God's will supersedes your expectations. God's will supersedes your expectations. Let me just stop real quick and just ask you something. We're all willing to follow Jesus when he gives us the promotion and the raise and the opportunity. When we, you know, in, in the end you get the girl, when everything comes together, when all the, the, everything clicks and it all comes together. But are you willing to follow Jesus when it doesn't come together? Are you willing to stick with Jesus when you don't get the promotion or the raise? When you get fired or laid off, when someone rejects you, when something hurts, when something doesn't turn around, when you get cancer and you die of cancer? Are you willing to follow Jesus to the end with that? Are you willing? Listen, what I'm really asking today is real simple. And this is not an easy message I want to tell you, but let me ask you something. Are you a real disciple of Christ or are you here because you're an inspirational junkie? Are we serious about our faith that if it doesn't work out, the way we want. We'll keep our arms lifted to say, Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to be devoted to you because it doesn't have to be my way. It's your way, your timing, whatever you want. I am yours, Lord. Are we serious about our faith? Because we're all going to face this if we've not faced this yet. A moment when it doesn't turn out like we thought it was going to. Look at scripture. It says in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, for these trials make, your, make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Can I tell you, you know how you say, how in the world is my problem, my struggle, my difficulty, how in the world does this reveal the glory of God? Let me tell you how it The problem doesn't reveal the glory of God. The way the Christian responds to the problem reveals the glory of God. See, how you respond shows your heart for the Lord. When you can still have joy in the middle of an incredibly difficult situation, when you choose to honor the Lord and stay with God and walk with him, you know, I tell people when they tell me they're mad at God, I say, I'm okay with that. I think God's okay with that. You can be mad at God. And they're always like, what? I'm like, no, you can be mad at God. In fact, I tell them, in fact, if you're going to be mad at God, don't tell anyone else about it. Go tell him about it. What do you mean? I go, go in your backyard and yell at him. And you look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, I have experience in this. I know exactly how to do this. I've done it. And again, some of you right now are getting offended by this, but I think it's time for us to cut through the religious crap and talk about what's really going on in the world today. Can we do that? Is that okay? Can you say crap in church? I don't know. We just did. But I feel like we need to do that. Because the truth is there's going to be moments in your life when you say, God, why in the world did this have to go down like this? I'm okay with you shaking your fist at God because when you do this, eventually he's going to take your anger to brokenness and eventually your fist will open up. And you say, God, I don't get it, but I just trust you. I don't get it, but I just trust you. I'm much more concerned about the person who says I'm no longer talking to God. 
because that means you're breaking relationship. That's a problem. When you begin to break relationship, because I think it's fair for God to say back to the person breaking relationship, I think it's fair for him to say, so you were with me for a good time. But when they got serious, when they got difficult, suddenly you don't want me anymore? I mean, how are we doing this? How are we playing this? Are you for real with me? Or is it just like, hey, as long as you're cool, we're good. But, as long, but the moment something doesn't go down the way I want, I'm out. Were you ever really in then? Because that's the whole thing about a real relationship with God is it requires a commitment even when you're in the middle of it, even when you're going through a difficulty. See, I'm just going to be honest with you. The, the most inspirational stories to me probably don't look super inspirational. You know, I, I love seeing you in worship, and it inspires me when people are here worshiping God. But you know what really inspires me? My good friends, Jeff and Rhonda. When I see them in church, you know why? Because they're faithful to God, and Rhonda's got MS. And it's slowly taking her health and taking her life slowly. And you know what? I see her wheeling in that wheelchair, and I see her arm lifted high to God, and I see her worship God, and I'm thinking, would I be that faithful? Would I be faithful to God in the middle of that? Would I say, God, I still love you, and you're still a good God? That inspires me. Does that inspire you? See, the truth is, is when you see someone honoring the Lord in the middle of a difficulty, that inspires me. When I see someone going through it and they say, Lord, I still will be faithful to you. In the words of Job, though he slay me, I will worship him. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. Wow, there it is right there in scripture. It's true, isn't it? If you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to, you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties that come with living for the Lord. It says in, in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians excuse me, 12, verse 8, look what Paul said. And Paul wrote half the New Testament. So if anyone we could argue could get a pass on difficulties, it would be Paul, since he wrote half the New Testament, right? You think, I mean, clearly this guy's done so much for God, the guy will just make his life easy. Because in our mind, we think that's how it works. They're like, well, if I love God and live for him, all problems will go away. But there's no, there, that just, that, that's, that's just not in here anywhere. It never says that. So the reason we're, we're offended and, and feel betrayed by Jesus is because we think there's an unwritten contract that if we love you, all will go well all the time. But it never says that. Nowhere in Scripture. In fact, I could make an argument the opposite, that the more you love the Lord, the harder it gets. Because the more the devil's coming at you, the more the world and the world system doesn't agree with you. I would actually argue the complete opposite. Paul said it this way. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He had a problem. He wanted God to take away, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Total opposite of what we bought into is that to live for Christ can bring difficulties. So number three, God will supersede your expectations. Number four, if the problem is not removed, it must be for his greater glory. It must be for his greater glory that, that the Lord has allowed this to happen. You've got to know God has a plan, even if it doesn't make sense to you in the moment. Some of you have heard this story, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself to you, but some of you don't know the story. But as I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about one of my wife and I's darkest moments. Years ago... Um, we really wanted to get pregnant. My wife came to me, and she just had baby fever straight up. You know what I'm talking about? When wives get baby fever, there's no stopping it, you know? And so she's like, I really want a baby. And I'm like, oh, I'm all about the process. Let's do this. You know, this is great. And so, you know, we, we get pregnant, you know, and we're all excited about the baby coming, and she's getting excited. She's wanting to go get clothes. I know the section she's trying to go get clothes. I'm like, okay, no, we're not buying clothes until we actually know 
whether it's a boy or a girl, that kind of thing, you know, but she's super excited. We all are, and we're fired up, and I'm about to graduate from seminary, and so we're thinking as soon as I'm done with that, I'll, you know, then I'll have a job, and we'll take care of this family, and we're just really excited. We kind of we had it timed out with how we thought it was going to go down. You know, this is great. We're excited. Until one day she calls me from work. She says, hey, uh, I need you to get home. I was like, okay, what's going on? She says, I'm spotting. I was like, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know what that means. She says, it means I'm, I'm, I'm bleeding. I was like, down there? Down there. Okay, well, what do we need to do? She said, I don't know. I need to call the doctor. She calls the doctor. Doctor says, get in here for a test. We go in for a test, and uh, I mean, I'll never forget the day it happened. It's painful to, to, be, to remember it, honestly. They do the ultrasound and put the jelly all over her, her belly, and they begin to do the test, and they're looking for a heartbeat, and the technician keeps saying, okay, turn this way, and she just turns that way, and Kind of got quiet. She was joking around earlier, but now it's all serious. And she goes, I can turn the other way. Okay, let's try this one more time. About the fourth time, finally, my wife's starting to tear up. And I just said, could you just show us the heartbeat real quick? She says, I'm really trying. She kept trying. And I said, what's going on? She said, you need to go see the doctor. I said, no, what's going on? And by now, Jessica's crying, you know. I said, I need to see that heartbeat right now. She said, I'm just... I'm sorry. We went to see the doctor. The doctor informed us that the baby was gone. Next day, we had to come in and, and get the DNC. God, it's just hard to tell the story. I'll never forget when it was done. They immediately came and got me because my wife even woke up from the surgery in tears. You know, and, and, and I just held her hand. And I just, I, I don't know what, I, I, I'm powerless and some of you men know what I'm talking about because you want to fix it and you just can't. We went home that day and confused, not understanding why God would allow this. We prayed all night for that baby to be okay, and, and the baby was not. I remember going to seminary the next day, and I drove there, and I remember thinking, honestly, I remember walking in, my, in my, one of my classes, and it's full of preachers, the whole class, you know, and I remember thinking in my mind, honestly, I thought, if one preacher tries to give me a reason, a theological reason why this happens, I'm just going to punch him right there in the middle of seminary. And I was serious. Thank God they were smart enough around me to realize that that's not what I wanted to hear. And they just said, man, we just, we're so sorry. They prayed for me. I was, I was grateful. Got through that day and drove home. And as I'm driving home, I was about 45 minutes to seminary, and on my way home, my best friend Jay called me, and he said, hey, man, how you doing? I said, not good. Not good at all. He said, talk to me, man. I said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to anybody. He goes, well, have you been praying? I was like, no, I haven't been praying. Why am I praying? I did pray to God. And he didn't save that baby. And he said, I understand, man. And I got mad. I started yelling in the car. I pulled over the car. I didn't want to wreck. And I was going between anger and yelling and crying. And I just said, this isn't fair, Jay. I've dedicated my life to God. Everything I do is about God. I'm here in sin. I'm broke, trying to get through school so I can serve God, and all we want is one thing as a baby? Is that too much to ask? It's the only thing my wife ever said she really, really wants is a baby. And, and he just said, I'm sorry, man. Prayed for me, you know, and I got the phone. I remember just crying out to God saying, God, where were you when my child died? I remember in that moment, God speaking to me. He said, I'm the same place I was when I sent my son to die. 
for you. And I feel like that was the day my faith grew up. Because we're all going to face this moment when something happens that makes no sense to you. When everything seems totally unfair and not right. And at some point you have to say, God, I don't understand and I'm not going to understand. But I make a choice to lift my hand to you. And say, I still love you and I still believe in you. I don't understand. But all I know is that this really sucks. I know I'm not supposed to say that in church, sorry. (laughs) But you're still a God who loves me. And I choose to worship you in spite of this. You have to make a decision. You just have to choose. Would you bow your heads with me? Across all of our churches right now. Maybe today has been a dark day for you. Maybe it's been a tough moment. Maybe you're in a season that makes no sense. And you say, just like John the Baptist, I only got one request. For some reason, the answer is not to be freed, but to lose my head. Lord, how is that fair? I only got one request. I just don't want to lose my marriage. And boom, it's gone. I just got one request. And it doesn't come through. You got to know this. Jesus did answer John's prayer. He did set him free. But he set him free indeed. When I said, God, please heal our baby, he did answer my prayer. But he healed the baby completely. The baby would never know pain. Never know the difficulties of this world. And one day I will meet our first child. So God did answer the prayer. He just answered it differently than I wanted. And when you say, God, please just heal my grandma. Please just heal her. God says, I did. I just completely healed her. And you'll see her one day. On the other side of eternity. Completely healed. Not partially healed like we think is completely healed. It's not. Completely healed. Completely made new. Completely changed. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe your prayer today is to say, God, I'm raw. Just like Pastor Bill's talking raw today, and all I can say is, God, I don't know why this has happened, but I can't figure out why, so I'm just going to say I love you. And I trust you anyways when it doesn't make sense. You're still my God. You're still worthy of my praise. I worship you and dedicate myself to you in this moment. Because I want to be faithful like John, even when everything falls apart. When all hell breaks loose, heaven breaks through. You can trust that the Lord is there. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe that's your prayer. This is to say, God, thank you that you're still the God in my life, even when things don't make sense. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. See, Jesus didn't come to heal John by getting him out of prison. He came to set you and I free and John free from the prison of hell. Jesus stayed on track of his primary goal, which was deliver us from hell, from our sins to heaven. Jesus died for you and me. He paid the price for us. He rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you and me to individually receive him. You can receive Christ right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. We're going to pray this prayer out loud together across all of our churches. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. 
Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.